This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslimin kathira thumma ma ba'd. To be honest with you, kind of like I feel a little bit emotional a little bit now, uh, looking at the crowd and realizing that this is going to be our last night doing these uh, uh, late night khatiras in this beautiful month of Ramadan, subhanAllah. I'm just kind of thinking like tomorrow, how, we, how it's going to look like. We are going to be same time tomorrow. And then the day after that, and then the day after that. How our life is going to look like from now on. It's an interesting thought, subhanAllah. I mean, looking back at all these beautiful 10 nights, I remember the first night when we started, it was just so hard, just like, oh my God, how are we going to go through all these nights? And now that we come towards the end, we're looking back and say, subhanAllah, wow, that went so fast. And now, I believe, uh, alhamdulillah, we come to uh, the conclusion of this blessed month of Ramadan. We only ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept it from us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to deprive us the reward for Ramadan because of our shortcomings. Amen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Mm-hmm. We ask Allah to accept our, our siyam, our qiyam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to write us among those who witnessed that al-qadr, Ya Rabbil Alameen. And since it's going to be our last night here, inshallah ta'ala, at the Valley Islamic Center in, the, in this year, the last night of Ramadan, uh, it's it's uh, befitting to, to really study this chapter. That chapter is basically, it's one of those emotional chapters as well too. The title in Arabic is Ilzam Baba Mawlak, which means stay at the, doorstep, at, the, at the doorsteps of your Lord. You stay there, which means keep knocking on his door. Keep knocking and knocking and knocking, but even, because eventually he will open the door subhanahu wa ta'ala for you. As we come out of this month of Ramadan, some of us are bruised, not necessarily physically, but probably emotionally, maybe spiritually. You have gone through experience in Ramadan and now you realize, oh my God, I'm going to go back to my old self. And I hate my old self. I wish I don't go back there. I want to continue where I am right now. And some of us, you know, kind of like looking around and says, how can I ensure that I'm not going to go back to my old self? And that's when this chapter comes in. You stay at the, at the doorstep of your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you keep knocking on this door until it opens. Imam Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala yaqul, yanbaghi lil'aqili an yulazim baba mawlahu ala kulli hal. He says, it's very important for the aql, someone who's reasonable, the smart ones, says, basically. You should stick to that door and stay at the, at the steps of that door, waiting there for your Lord. In all your affairs, which means positive, negative, high, low, all these affairs, you stick to the door. And you grab to the, uh, you could say, to the, to, the, to the rope of His grace, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Holding on to His grace, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether you're being a sinner, whether you committed a sin, or you did well, Always hold on to that rope. Always hold on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah. Holding on to Allah azza wa jalla. And you should find this source of, of solace, source of, of uh, companionship, even though you're alone. Finding companionship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though you're by yourself. So when you are alone, it doesn't mean you're lonely. Just like I know, and I'm sure that some of us probably here in this massive crowd, mashallah, some of us are looking you know, to themselves and realize no matter how big the crowd is, I still feel lonely. So that, that kind of loneliness is not really about, about the environment around you, it's from the inside. Qal, 
فان وقعت وحشه and if you start feeling that way, you start feeling loneliness, even though you're with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, once you start feeling that sense of loneliness, you need to try your best to remove that cause that is making you feel such. Like what? What is causing you to feel lonely even though you're with Allah Azza wa Maybe it's a sin that I've committed, something that I've done, and it keeps bothering me. Every time I would like to enjoy Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's companionship by contemplating, thinking, or maybe making dua for him, the shaitan comes back to me and tells me, you, you remember what we did last night? You remember this, you remember that? And suddenly I feel that, you know what, I cannot be in his presence. You start feeling lonely again. Because you need to start working on this and remove that. Whatever is causing you to feel that loneliness, stay away from it. And then, قال, فَإِنْ رَأَى نَفْسَهُ مَائِلًا إِلَى الدُّنْيَا طَلَبَهَا مِنْ Still though, if you find yourself inclined towards the, towards the dunya, the affairs of this world, he says then, turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask that same dunya that you're inclining towards. Ask Allah for that dunya. Like, don't let yourself pursue it on your own. No, bring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into it. Like, make sure that Allah is the one who's making it easy for you. Obviously, if you're going to bring Allah into some of the matters of dunya, what kind of affairs of the dunya are you going to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for? has to be something where he he will please with قال وَأَوْ إِلَى الْآخِرَةِ سَأَهْلَ التَّوْفِيقُ لِلْعَمَلِ لَهَا and if you find yourself as climbing towards the akhirah same thing you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy for you to fulfill uh, the duties that will, will, will deliver you to Jannah al-Firdaus al-A'la قال فَإِنْ خَافَ ضَرَرَ مَا يَرُومُهُ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا سَأَلَ اللَّهَ إِصْلَحَ قَلْبِهِ and if you start getting scared that what I'm, what I'm desiring of this dunya is going to ruin my heart then what do you say? Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep your heart uh, sound. Like making sure that your heart is not attached to what you're asking for. That matter that you're asking for is in your hand, not in your heart. And when you're sick, you look for medicine for it. And he's talking about spiritual sickness and illness. So look for the medicine in the Quran, in the dua, in the qiyam, in the siyam, in the ibadat. قال فإنه إذا صلح له لم يطلب ما يؤذي because if your heart is sound and strong and healthy then it would never desire something that would hurt it your heart would never desire something that would bring harm to it if you work on your heart very well قال ومن كان هذا هكذا كان في العيش الرغد whoever does that in his life you will find yourself living prosperity in this dunya spiritual prosperity قال غير أن من ضرورة هذه الحال ملازمة التقوى. However, to have that sense feeling of spiritual prosperity, it requires from you to lead the path the path of taqwa, righteousness and piety. فإنه لا يصلح الأنس إلا بها. Because that companionship you're looking for with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is not going to happen unless you have taqwa. It's that sense of sense of consciousness of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, fear of Allah Azza wa Jalla, love of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Would help you find that sense of companionship with Him, Subhanahu wa Taala. قال وقد كان أرباب التقوى يتشاغلون عن كل شيء إلا عن اللجج والسؤال. He says the the pious people, the righteous ones, probably they distract themselves from anything. They might get busy from do do anything except اللجج والسؤال, meaning turning back to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala with their hands up and making a lot of du'a. Ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and make a lot of du'a. Like they can be distracted from tahajjud, maybe from qiraatul Quran, from anything, but from asking Allah Azza wa Jal, nothing distracts them from that. 
Why? Because we have learned earlier that the essence of dua is what? It's al-ibadah itself, that sense of brokenness, the sense of poverty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, rahmah and need and so on. That's what it means. قَالَ فِي الْخَبَرِ أَنَّ قُتَيْبَةَ بْنُ مُسْلِمَ لَمَّا صَافَ الْتُرْكَ هَالَهُ أَمْرُهُمْ فَقَالَ أَيْنَ مُحَمَّدَ بْنُ وَاسَعَ It was said in history that Qutayba ibn Muslim, he was one of the leaders who conquered the East for the Muslim state back then. Well, when he was, when he was lining up his armies to face the enemies on, from the East, he looked at them and he got cut scared a little bit. The sight of it was very scary for him. So what did he do? He said, look around, he says, Aina Muhammad ibn Wasa'. Where's Muhammad ibn Wasa'? Muhammad ibn Wasa'a was one of those ulama that were salihin, righteous people who, are, who was with him in their army. فَقِيلَهُ فِي أَقْصَ الْمَيْمَنَةِ جَانِحٌ عَلَى سِيَةِ قَوْسِهِ They said to him, he is in the far right side of the army. He is leaning on his own uh, bow. And he is turning with his fingers to the sky. He says, he's, with his finger, he's pointing to the sky. And he's making dua. Like basically, we saw him, last time we saw him, he was by himself on the far end of the army, the, side of the right side of the army. And he is turning to the, to, to the sky. Meaning what? He's calling Allah subhanahu wa make a lot of dua. So Qutayba, when he heard that, he says, قَالَ تُلْكَ الْإِصْبَعُ الْفَارِدَ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنْ مِئَةِ أَلْفِ سَيْفٍ شَهِيرٍ Because that single finger that he's pointing to the sky mm. is dearer to me, more valuable to me than a hundred thousand swords. Like I would win with that finger pointing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and making dua to Allah azza wa jal. I would win with that. Better than having one thousand, one hundred thousand warriors with me. قال فلما فتح عليهم when they conquered that army قال له ما كنت تصنع he went to Muhammad bin Wasa he saw he asked him he goes what you been doing what what exactly were you you were saying قال آخذ لك بمجامع الطرق he says I was trying to bring for you the means of success like all the means of success and victory I was trying to collect all of this for you and that's the meaning of the dua that we call upon Allah سبحانه وتعالى so now once again, in this last night that we have in this month of Ramadan, uh, we come to this moment because like, okay, now I went through all the journey. Where that, where that journey should end? If it should end anywhere, it should be at the doorsteps of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah. And that is where you should actually now put all your effort and your energy so that this Ramadan doesn't go waste. Wallahu alam. Jazakallah khair, Shaykhna. I think um, one of the things that's actually very important to take from this, by the way, is... Uh, this is actually not a uh, just an end of Ramadan thing. This is your constant in life, and that's actually the point that's being made: is Aina antum in babi maulak? Where are you from the doorstep of your Lord? And and this is actually very profound. Subhanallah. This is a beautiful, beautiful chapter. Uh, if you ponder upon some of the meanings here, and I'll actually I actually was thinking about some of the names that came up, Sheikh, and some of the incidents that we can also put to it because people remember often the stories with it. The first thing when he says. In asa wa in apa, this idea that you should be at the doorstep of your Lord when you commit a sin and when you obey Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and that's a very profound thing because Allah Azza wa Jal mentions when it comes to the sinner, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wadadina ida fa'adu fahishatan al wadamu anfusahum dhakarullah, fastafaru li dhunubihim." Right? Wama yaghfiru dhunuba illa Allah, walam yusiru ala ma fa'alu wahum yaglumun. So those who, when they commit that sin, when they have that moment. Of ghafla, of heedlessness, Allah, they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so they then go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seek forgiveness for him. 
Allah mentions that those who have taqwa, the quality, Allah assigned this to a, a person of, of taqwa, because the muttaqi will fall sometimes. You know, the, the muttaqi, the person who has taqwa, is still going to make mistakes because the muttaqi is still insan, is still a human being. So sometimes he's going to make mistakes or she's going to make mistakes. But uh, when ta'ifa min shaytan, shaytan just touches them. Like you start flirting with a sin that you maybe were unfamiliar to because you've been holding yourself back. Tadakkaru. You remembered what? You remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Al-Quran tufassiru al-Quran. The Quran explains the Quran. Dhakarullah, right? Faidahum mubusirun. And suddenly they can see deeply. SubhanAllah. So the remembrance of Allah when you commit a sin, too often people wait for the consequences of sin rather than thinking about the one that they sinned against. And there is an opportunity there, in fact. You know, people ask about that hadith of the Prophet where the angel, Allah commands the angel to hold the pen when you commit the sin. And to give you a period there where if you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that time, then the sin was never even written. Like, you know, Allah doesn't even erase the sin. The sin was never written. And Allah just puts down, tells the angel, write down the deed of istighfar, of seeking forgiveness. One of the deeper meanings that some of the ulama mentioned uh, is that if a person repented in that short period of time, that probably means that they didn't repent due to external circumstances. It was the pure dhikr of Allah after they committed the sin, like, whoa, what did I just do? Astaghfirullah, right? Astaghfirullah. Not to say that the bab of tawbah, that the door of tawbah ever closes for you, but that at that moment, if you remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll, you'll immediately, in asa, then you come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that could be a means of basira for you, not just a means of darkness in the heart, it could be a means of clarity and perception and closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you, when you obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is probably the more dangerous one. Because a lot of times people get to a point in their religiosity where they no longer feel like beggars at the door of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They feel like they're sitting in the living room at this point. Like I'm good now. You know, so when I slip a little bit, uh, yeah, you know, but alhamdulillah, it's not like I've committed a major sin. But the Prophet ﷺ, like when you saw him make du'a, uh, the du'a of al-masakin, the du'a of a beggar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you would think that he committed a great sin or something because of the desperation, not the assumption that he's making. So what is bringing you back to? Bab Mawlak, the doorstep of your Lord. And as you go through this, this, uh, this, this chapter, first and foremost, he, he makes it a point to say that that uns, that, 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 that bab, that door and that closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not one that's found in a particular place. That's in your khalwa. It's in your actual seclusion. It's in your moments, right, of, of closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the ulama here mentioned a few very profound things in regards to Iblis and Adam alayhi salam. Iblis felt like he was in the living room. Okay? Iblis felt like, I'm good, I've left all those other jinn behind, and I'm in this comfortable place in paradise. And he failed to work on the disease in his heart, which was what? Pride. That pride that kept on developing. And so, you know, that sudden outburst with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't come out of nowhere. There are signs before you get there. Where, like, you owe me, Allah. Like, I've, I thought, I've passed this marhala, I've passed this stage. I left all those other people there outside the house, but I'm literally in the house, right? A jinn that was given a position 
a rank where he's amongst the malaika, amongst the angels. And so he failed to treat the disease of the heart that he had, which was pride. And as Sufyan rahimahullah said that whoever sins out of shahwa, out of desire, has a much easier path back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the one who sins out of kibr, the one who sins out of pride. Because Adam salam sinned out of desire, Iblis sinned out of pride. So Adam salam found it easier to come back to his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the prideful one feels too proud to go back to the doorstep. You want me to go back to that place with you, Ya Allah? We've already passed this. I already worshipped you. I already got to this point. I'm already a abid. I'm already a worshipper. I've already got to this point. Oh, you're going to expel me? Sure. Right? He, he felt like he didn't need to be there anymore. And that self-righteousness is so dangerous because it's so hard to detect. The Prophet said, if you were not to sin, I would fear for you something much worse than sin. Like you are conceited. You think because you pray this much, you think because you give this much charity, you think because you have this much knowledge, you, and you look at your brothers and sisters who are sinning in more obvious ways, and you say those masakeen that are outside of the house of Islam. You know, alhamdulillah, I'm sitting comfortably in, in the living room of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're not. Because <laughs> the Prophet sallallahu remained at the doorstep, and if anyone could ever claim to have already been comfortably seated in the house, it was Rasulullah sallallahu but he remained at the doorstep. And so what does that translate into in terms of the desperation of your dua? Like when you're asking Allah for forgiveness, are you, you know, there, there's husn al-dhan billah that you should have, a good assumption of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tuhibbul afwa fa'fu anni, that you love to forgive, so forgive me. But were you, were you thinking about the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And were you thinking about the sins that you've actually committed and bringing that and inducing a sense of, of emotion uh, with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala? And then he goes on when he talks about the, the al-uns with taqwa. Taqwa being a prerequisite to that uns, that intimacy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, this religion is so beautiful because every single one of your ibadahs has a direct connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dua, wa idha sa'alak ibadi anni fa inni qareeb. So when, you, when, when, when my servant makes dua, then he is close to me. As-salah, salah means sila, it's your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your direct connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As-salah to mi'raj al-mu'min, it's your ascension to the heavens. As the Prophet received the salah, the gift of salah in the heavens, it is your ascension to the heavens every time you go into your salah. As-siyam, all of the, the, the deeds of the child of Adam are for him except for as-sawm, right? As-sawm this is my personal deed, this is something he's doing for me. Al-hajj, right? You come to my house. You're a guest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That secret charity that extinguishes the anger of your Lord. Like this is something you deposited in an account and you hope Allah brings it back to you on the day of judgment and no one else knows about it. Like these are deeply connected. These are deeds that are very personal between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your dhikr a dhikr that, that other people don't know about, your wird that other people don't know about, the times that your mouth is closed and you're saying, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. Your tongue is moving, saying la ilaha illallah. You're doing tasbih, your moments of tears. That's uns, that's closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you don't get there without taqwa. And too many people, and this goes back to the, the, the point of Iblis, that Iblis made the mistake of taking his status for granted and not dealing with his sickness of pride. Had he dealt with it at an early on stage, then maybe he wouldn't have ended up in that disastrous state. And a lot of religious people, 
that pray a lot, that give a lot, that do a lot, right? They use their good deeds to distract from their consistent sins and their consistent sickness. You know, so look, that one sin that you will leave for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring you into his proximity because Allah has a himmah, right? He has his, his kingdom. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the, the kingdom, the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are, are the things that he's prohibited for you. That one little sin that you're insisting upon, but mashallah, you're praying qiyam, mashallah, you're coming to the masjid, but that one little naqs, that one little deficiency that you don't feel such a great urgency to get rid of, it will grow. And then Allah Azza wa says, Like you'll even become arrogant with that sin. Like this is who I am. Back off. Don't judge me. I'm going to keep on doing this over and over and over again. That one thing that you give up and humble yourself and break yourself for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be better. I had one more thing, Shaykh, but I'm taking way too long. So if you have any comments on this. It's okay. I'm just clearing my throat. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you wanted to correct me. Uh, the, the last thing over here, Yunus ibn Ubaid, Rahimahullah ta'ala. Yani, subhanallah, I, I thought of the statement from Yunus ibn Ubaid when you were talking about Bab Mawla. Yunus ibn Ubaid, Rahimahullah said, I knew an old man who told me that I don't think Allah will ever forgive me. Like, I've, I've lived my whole life in sin. And it was like none of the ilaj, none of the treatments, none of the words that I was giving him was comforting him. And by the way, some of you have had that type of conversation with Sheikh Yasser and I over the last few days. Like, I don't, I've been really, really bad. Like, I've been failing way too many times at this point. And he said he had a dream, and in that dream, it was said to him, هَلْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ أَتَى بَابَنَا Did anyone ever come to our door, فَطَرَدْنَا, and we turned him away? Has anyone ever come to my door and been turned away from me? No one has ever come to the doorstep of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and been turned away. Have you, ever, have, have you ever come to my door and been turned away? You've never come to the doorstep of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and been turned away. So, iltazm, you know, that, that iltizam, that sticking at the doorstep. Am I at the doorstep with my dua? And then finally, you go to the battle. And Muhammad ibn Wasi' came up. And Muhammad ibn Wasi' rahimahullah, this was a man who feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a great deal. He, used to, he was the one who said that if sins had a stench, then the angels, then no one would sit next to me. If sins could smell, then no one would sit next to me. Talk about high self-awareness. Everybody else knows him as a abid, and he knows himself as a sinner. He says, if sins had a smell, no one would sit next to me. And he used to cry, and he used to wipe the tears all around, and he used to say that, I pray that every single place these tears are touching will be protected from the fire. So he is, he's at the doorstep of his Lord, begging his Lord for forgiveness, Everybody else is like, Muhammad ibn Wasa' is here. And he's like, I'm at the doorstep of, of, of Allah, leave me alone. You know, stop putting me in this rank. I'm going to stay at this doorstep until I die. And so for him to be the one that's sought after, like where is he at in the battle? It's very profound because that is what differentiates us from the other superpowers of the world. We find our power through our desperation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We find our izzah, our dignity, through our desperation and our brokenness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We mentioned this, the, the time that Salman radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Sa'ad radiallahu anhu were about to enter into the river. And Salman radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that Allah azza wa jal, wallahi layansuranna Allah adina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give his, or layansuranna Allah waliya, wa layulhiranna Allah adina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give victory to his wali and he will make his deen clear. He will give his, you know, the people of Islam victory. As long as Sa'ad, we don't have the sins in this, in this group of us that overcome our good deeds, 
we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And so you look at Rasulullah on Badr. إِذْ تَسْتَغِيثُونَ رَبَّكُمْ فَاسْتَجَابَ لَكُمْ When you called upon your Lord, so your Lord answered you. You saw the Prophet ﷺ the night before Badr, and the Prophet ﷺ could have slept at peace before the, you know, at the night, right? And, and, and said, you know what, like, we're good because who's better than the Prophet ﷺ and these, this, this small group of people that are with him? Like, we're good, right? Like, we should, we should know the angels are going to come. We should take it for granted. But Rasulullah spends the entire night with his hands so high to the sky that his, his cloak falls off. And even Abu Bakr anhu, seeing the, the tears of the Prophet seeing the Prophet at the doorstep of his Lord is taking his garment and his cloak and putting it back on him and saying like, Allah is going to answer you. Do you think the Prophet had doubt that Allah would answer him? No, he didn't. That's so what we're talking about, that transformation at the end of Ramadan, right before Eid. He didn't have doubt that Allah would answer him, but he had the desperation of a person who was, you know, in crisis. And so even Abu Bakr was comforting him. And so this lesson for us is, is very, very important. Your good deeds and your sins should drive you back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because it is not your sins, it is not the fact that you are a sinner that will get you to hell, nor is it the fact that you do good deeds that will get you to Jannah. It is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you seek forgiveness for your sins that will get you away from hellfire. And it is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He accepts our broken up, beat up good deeds and takes us to Jannah regardless of those things. And so both your sins and your good deeds should drive you back to the doorstep of Allah and He never, ever, ever turns away His servant from His doorstep. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh. Uh, well, as you were speaking, I was already thinking about the brothers and sisters who are just... Uh, standing there by that door for, on a distance, really, and they're just staring at it. A lot of people in that position in their life right now. You see the door and you stare from distance and just like looking at it, just like, should I? And I don't know if he's gonna open the door because I don't think he's gonna open it. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's dealing with those who are better than me. He has more important things than me. Maybe this, maybe that. And I'm bringing this analogy because that's in real life what happens honestly with us as Imams even sometimes. I sometimes be walking outside of the musalla and then I look at people just from distance looking at me and just like hesitating and just kind of say, should I go and say salam or not? Should I go and say salam or not? Should I ask my question or not? Alhamdulillah, as a human being, I, when I notice that, I just go straight to them and say salam alaykum, you look new here. And for them, it's just like, oh, bismillah, and then they open up, alhamdulillah, rabbani. Look, we're humans. And people find joy doing that. Imagine if you go and you knock on his door, even though you think that you're not worthy of that. Just knock on the door. And he will open, inshallah. I know that a lot of people like us, again, they keep looking from distance, just like, well, I don't know if I should do that. I don't know. I don't deserve that. Stop doing this to yourself. Because you're not going to know until, wallah, you try. And people ask me personally, they say, look, how, how did you become an imam? A personal story on here. How did you become an imam? How did you become what you are right now? I said, it all started with really knocking on the door. But what door? So we were kids, at the time I was still maybe 10, 11 years old, and we were a bunch of kids running around in the neighborhood and having fun and playing with other kids and so on. And then we heard from some, it was Ramadan, we heard from some people, some other kids saying, hey guys, in the masjid they, they actually they have some programs and fun activities and they give prizes and this and that. And 10 years old, 11 year old kids, what do you expect of them? Hey, prizes for free, bismillah, let's go. We didn't say bismillah, but let's go. Right? <laughs> 
So I remember all of we bunch of little kids walking together in that masjid one day around Dhuhr Salah. Even we didn't even know when Salah the Dhuhr was. So when we arrived, the Salah Dhuhr was already gone and done. But there were a bunch of kids in a side room, just like the multi-purpose room over here, subhanAllah. And I could see the kids running around and making uh, yeah, a mess over there. <laughs> but that's what we saw. We came in and we looked on the right side. There was that glass door, leads to another glass door. And behind the second glass door, we thought, yeah, and subhanAllah, it was like, whoa, it was like chaos, like zoo, basically. Kids are running and jumping. So we start staring and looking. We did not dare knock on the door, Allah. We didn't. We were just looking and we kind of like amused by what's behind this glass door. And we always thought like, I wish that door can be open to us. Like, wow, we could join, subhanAllah. We didn't even finish that thought. One of the kids from the inside, he saw us. So he immediately comes and he opens the door. He goes, come in. That's what he said, come in. And we look at each other just like, we just came in right away. And the rest of history, we never came out. Because we really took an advantage of a moment that, subhanAllah, it just was presented to us in that moment as kids. As kids. So what I'm asking, my dear brothers and sisters, stop staring at the door, Jannah. Stop staring at that door. Please, knock on it. Knock on that door. Cry your eyes out on the doorsteps of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned a story. It's a very interesting story. He goes, he speaks about one of the righteous ulama. That he was one day walking in, uh, in, the neighbor, in a neighborhood. So as he was walking, he said, suddenly he heard some sort of like a, a, a noise coming from behind one of those doors, neighborhood doors. And then he said, kind of like, he was wondering what was going on. All of a sudden, he says, a door opens, opens out, you know, to the neighborhood, to the street. And then a young kid dashes out running. He was running, running and crying. And then suddenly he goes after him. His mom came after him with whatever she had in her hand, yelling at him, if you come back, I will. I will do this. I will do this to you. And the kids kept running, running. And the mother just so angry, just came back and she slammed the door closed. And that Adam, he just like was amused by that sight. So he stopped there and he just like, I want to see what's going to happen. So he said, look at the kid from far, from far away. And the kid running and running. And then he just kind of stopped somewhere and then came back again and started kind of like, coming closer, going back again, back and forth, back and forth, wondering what to do, where do I go, where do I go? And so, so the alim was just sitting there watching him and watching what's going to happen, subhanAllah. Suddenly he said that that kid, eventually he realized he had absolutely no escape, no escape from the wrath of his mom, except by going back to his mom. And then that kid, he went to the door, but he did not dare actually knock on the door. So he sat at the, at the doorsteps. He started maybe crying, and he started kind of getting tired and exhausted. Then he started lying down on the, on the doorsteps. Then he cries his, out, his eyes out until he fell asleep, basically. He says, later on, at some point, he said, the door opened. And that same mother that was carrying whatever a stick, you know, after that child, she saw that baby there. She just, she just melted. She melted. She couldn't say anything. She couldn't do anything. She, she grabbed him. And she hugged him and she squeezed him. And she starts crying and the baby opened his eyes. See, it was his mom. He felt okay. He just got to let go because I, I, I'm not going to do anything. I'm in her arms right now. And his mom is just like, kind of like crying and says, please don't do this to me again. Blah, 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 blah. Like what old mother would do, right? Blame it on the baby again. <laughs> but the idea is that, subhanAllah, that, that story the alim was referring to said like, 
if this happens between humans, if that level of mercy and compassion exists amongst humans, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to the hadith, He promised you that all what you see of mercy and, and compassion that exists amongst humans and animals and everybody in the, on earth, it's one out of a hundred. One level of mercy out of a hundred mercy. And he is saving the 99 for, for the akhirah. So I want you to imagine that. You probably that baby that right now that you're so scared of the wrath of your Lord because of what you've done, the crime you've committed. But where are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? So just save yourself the trouble. Come back again to the doorsteps. Cry your eyes until you fall asleep down there. And hopefully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open the door for you, even though you're unaware of it. You're unaware. You're asleep. Because you just submitted yourself. You know what? Whatever's going to happen, I accept it. That child, when he came to the doorsteps of his mom, he knew if she's going to smack me, she's going to discipline me, she's going to whatever. I have no other place to go. She's my shelter anyway. Same thing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where, where else are you going to go, man? So give yourself that, that shortcut and go straight back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask him for his mercy. It's, it's, it's worth it. The dua that we make, there is no escape or no shelter from you except to you. I was thinking about the Sheikh, this idea, um, you know, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until certainty comes to you. One of the things about these ubad, uh, these worshippers, is that you'll find that the ones that feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the most, they had the most peaceful deaths. Like at death, they were the most hopeful of people. You know, like they, they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you would see them and there's, there's a great fear of Allah, a trepidation, a healthy trepidation, not one that makes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unapproachable. I think that's one of the, the problems in the way that we talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we make him inaccessible, unapproachable because of our sins. And to make him more approachable, that does not mean belittling your sins, that means extolling his attributes of mercy and generosity. And these people understood this to a point that, you know, worship your Lord until yaqeen comes to you, until certainty comes to you. The word certainty here, yaqeen, is speaking about death. Why? Because it's at death that this person that's been sort of at the doorstep of, of his Lord, right? What happens? The angels come down with the kafan of al-Jannah. And they say, come on in. Okay, you can come now. You've been at the doorstep this whole time. Go ahead and come to the mercy of your Lord. Come to the mercy of your Lord. Come to His Ridwan. Come to His pleasure with you. Go ahead. Come on out. Like they literally say, come on out, but it means come on in. Because leaving this world means entering into that world, right? So come on out. Come on in. <laughs> and that soul of the believer out of farah, out of joy, will jump out. May Allah make us amongst them. Allahumma ameen. أَبَشِرُوا بِالْجَنَّةِ الَّتِي كُنْتُمْ تُوْعَدُونَ Here's the Jannah you've been promised. نُزُلًا مِنْ غَفُورٍ رَحِيمٍ Who's it been given to you by? Allah Azawajal does not use uh, names by accident or randomly. غَفُورٍ رَحِيمٍ غَفُورٍ He's forgiven you for everything that you were worried about burdening you. It's being left behind in this dunya. رَحِيمٍ هُوَ رَحِيمٌ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَحْمَانٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا رَحِيمٌ فِي الْآخِرَةِ As Ibn Abbas said, Rahim is a special mercy that Allah reserves for the believers. 
So Ghafoor, all those sins you were worried about holding you down, leave them back, leave them outside the house. They're not coming with you into this home. Rahim, as generous as you thought this host was going to be, as merciful as you thought this host was going to be, watch what happens next. <laughs> we're just getting started, right? The generosity and the mercy of your Lord. subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why some of the ulama mentioned that you find in the, in, in the wird of, of, of many of, in, in the, of the salaf, of the pious predecessors, that they paired the name of Karim with Allah's name Ghafoor or, uh, or Afu, right? To constantly invoke the most generous. Because if you think of the most generous person in the world, okay, and people come to their door, you know, you, you hear all these stories, you know, people that like leave food out in, in front of their door, you know, have a 24-hour kitchen. We talked about Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu being one of those people. Uh, operating a 24-hour kitchen outside of his, 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 his house, right? And people that would say, anyone who needs anything, just come to me. Imagine Al-Kareem. Every generous person that has ever existed. I want you to think of the top five most generous people you've ever met in your life, right? Just, just generous of spirit, generous of wealth. All of the karam that you've read about in history, all of the karam of the people that you have encountered, all of them were just you know, a dip in the ocean of the karam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who gave them that karam? Who gave them that nobility? Who gave them that, that generosity, right? Al-Kareem. That's why the Prophet said, you know, Allah is too shy. So he is hayyun kareem. This is, this is interesting. Hayyun kareem. Allah Azzawajal is shy and he's generous. Usually generous people, they got a little, you know, chip on their shoulder. You know? They got a chip on their shoulder, right? Hayy, Kareem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shy and generous. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shy that his servant raises his hands to him and Allah lets your hands fall empty. It's not happening, right? And that's why, that's why, because many of you are going to wonder now, okay, this kind of, I don't know, am I one of those people staring at the door? Am I one of those people at the doorstep? Have you ever gotten into a dua and let your heart and your, your heart pour out in dua? And then realize, where did the time go? Like you started making dua, I see it every year in, in Arafah, by the way. People are like nervous, they got their whole notebooks and stuff like that. Like I got my six hours of dua, I'm ready, I'm going to make dua for, you know, my, 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 my parents, I'm going to make dua for my neighbor, I'm going to make dua for my cat, I'm going to make dua for the other. Like I got my Google Doc of my dua list and I got all these things I'm going to ask Allah for. And then subhanAllah, at some point you see them put the notepad to the side and just do this and just flow and like Maghrib comes and it's like <laughs> what happens? what happened is Allah wanted to give you something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let your tongue move to ask him and there is no hirman that's what Abu Hurair radiallahu ta'ala anhu said there is no deprivation for the one who has been given the ability to ask you flowed, your heart just poured out your, your tongue just kept on flowing. That was divine, that your tongue was moving in ways that you weren't, you couldn't have planned it, you couldn't have scripted it, your tongue moves. But you have to commit yourself to the, the posture, the, the time that I'm gonna spend an hour and I'm gonna see where this takes me. You know, these, these shiukh keep talking about tahajjud bil-layl and they keep talking about, you know, all the, the way this feels and the and uns in connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like, I'm just trying to get my five prayers down. You know what? 
I, I, used to, I used to read the hadith about the Prophet when he said Allah that my servant does not come close to me with anything more beloved to me would accept that which I have made fawrad on him and then he continues to come close to me with a nawafil with the, uh, the voluntary deeds until I love him and I realize that a lot of people maybe are, are misreading that hadith too where it's like I'm struggling with my five prayers why am I even going to pray a little bit like why do tahajjud sweetness that you'll feel from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's the sweetness that will make you realize that there is no palace no position no favor that is more blessed than being at the doorstep of your Lord and if Allah lets your heart open up and Allah lets your tongue flow that's because he's not just kareem in what he can give you he's kareem in what he can activate inside of you that's part of his karam too you know, the ulama said, SubhanAllah, Allah Azza wa Jal descends in a way that's befitting to him, and Allah extends his hand in a way that's befitting to him, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Whoever comes to me walking, I go to him running. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives access, and then he activates, and he accelerates. Like, it's like his karam is working from both directions, from the sa'il and the mas'ul. <laughs> it's unbelievable. His karam, that's all his generosity. He doesn't have to do that for us. But I want you to commit yourself to that time that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into du'a even if I can only do this once a week I'm serious, just once a week, once a week I'm going to spend some time alone I'm going to create an environment for myself where I'm going to go into du'a and I'm, just, I'm not going to prep for it I'm just going to let it take me where it takes me and put my hands up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said if you're trying to cry and you can't cry then make your face as if you're about to cry until it happens that's Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. That's not Shaykh Yasser, Burjas, or Umar Sulaiman. That's Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, you know what, make your face like you're about to cry, push yourself, create the factors until it happens. Until it comes out, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees that in his servant. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-kareem, al-hayi. Allah azawajal looks at this person and gives you and gives you and gives you. You know what happens when he keeps giving you? You're, you're never going to leave his doorstep, right? Because you realize, like, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with this. Yeah, Allah, keep on giving. I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. And there's nothing greater that Allah will give you than Himself, than that uns that's being spoken about here, that ma'rifah, that uns. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that intimacy with our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala day and night. Allahumma ameen. And Shaykh, we want to add one more thing to whatever he said, rahmatullahi in the statements here. You should find comfort. You should really find comfort and peace in seclusion with him, being alone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's where you find your comfort, your peace and tranquility, really. When you're alone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you feel that estrangement, if you feel that kind of, you know, that uh, uh, dissatisfaction, the peace is lost, is missing from that moment. You need to work on removing the barrier that causing this estrangement between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need to work on removing that thing. All of us have these things between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We all have these shortcomings and sins and things. And I know that each and every one of us as we speak right now, you remember one of those things. And you can now, you're, you're talking to yourself, so like, yeah, I need to work on this thing. Because I believe this is the thing that really is stopping me from having that enjoyment being with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. I cannot enjoy my salah. I cannot enjoy my staying in the masjid. I cannot enjoy my fasting when no one else knows that I'm fasting. I cannot enjoy any of that sin because there's something in my heart 
that's over, overburdening my heart, that is blocking me from finding that peace and tranquility and comfort with Allah Azza wa Why? Because, like I said, you know, you want to look at the door, you keep looking at the door, but you realize that what you're about to present is, is so embarrassing. I don't want to knock on the door and, and, and uh, show this to Allah Azza wa So Imam Ibn Jawzi, he says, look, if you want to enjoy that comfort with Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, then work on yourself. What is that preventing you from enjoying it? What is that? Is it your, your phone? Is it your, 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 your TV? Is it your laptop? Is it your desire to you know, be with somebody in particular? Is it just being you know, at night, doing whatever you want to do with matters of dunya? Is it your money? Is it your job? Is it your fame? Is it your name? What is it? What is that thing that is truly blocking you? for enjoying this moment of solitude with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You need to work on removing this thing. Because without removing it, you can always keep staring at the door and keep thinking, should I? The answer is, why not? But you need, first of all, to throw whatever that is in your hand and go bravely, knock on the door, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open the door for you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open his door for you, Ya Rabbil Alameen, all of you tonight. Shaykh, can I get 10 seconds on this? Bismillah. Not 30 seconds, 10 Go seconds. Nah. The only guest that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't let you in the house with is your sins. Think of it that mm. way. The unwelcomed guest, the guest that you can come, but don't bring him, don't bring her. That guest is that them that you keep on insisting on. Mm. That you're just unwilling to acknowledge even to start repenting from. No, no, you can't bring that guest here. That guest has to go. You're welcome here. That's important for us to think about too in regards to this chapter. So let's take a few questions, inshallah, before we give it a chance to wrap up this session with some of your reflections, inshallah. Someone, I don't want someone didn't ask a question before, if it's possible, inshallah. Anyone didn't ask a question before? You have one here? Uh, my question was in regards to the grave. So we know what happens to the believing soul in the grave. Uh, the two angels come down with the essence of Jannah. And we know what happens to the disbeliever. But what happens to the one that is being tested on the day of judgment because they didn't receive the clear message in the grave? Uh, this is one of the, so you're saying the one who didn't receive the clear message, what happens to them on the day of judgment? No, not on the Day of Judgment. We know they're being tested on the Day of Judgment, but what happens to them in the grave? So the grave is a preview of the Day of Judgment, right? The grave is the preview of the Day of Judgment. So there are some people, the Prophet said, this Ummah, this Ummah is tested in its grave. So there are some people that are tested in their grave before they, uh, before they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like there are some believers who go to the fire before they go to Jannah. A lot of times, you know, and I just finished the Judgment Day series, right? So I was researching this stuff pretty obsessively for a few months. And one of the things that sometimes the tartib and the hadith, the order of, of events seems a little different, or the order of Allah doing this or doing that seems a little bit different. It's not contradictory when you just kind of take a step back and say, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not subjected to our ideas of time or even structure. Like, kullan husna, what Allah is going to do for the individual, Allah is going to do for the individual at the end of the day. And so, if you look at the majority, the interesting thing with, with, the, with the grave, you don't find examples of people, to, to the best of my knowledge, that Allah delays their punishment of the grave to the akhirah, 
so that he can punish them there instead. But rather, every, you should look at it that every punishment prior is either part of a consistent punishment or a part of purification before the ultimate destination. So what does that mean? The, the, you could be punished for your sins in this world. And that could actually serve as a means of expiation so that you don't have to face it in the grave and then face it on the Day of Judgment. And some people will be punished in this world and be punished in the grave, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive them on the Day of Judgment. So it's, it's sort of like those punishments are taking away, they're chipping away. Now obviously the situation that you want to be in is where you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for His mercy, you're asking Allah for His forgiveness, and you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to punish you in any of those places, in any of those realms. But then what Allah does with the individual is up to, up to him subhanahu wa ta'ala and obviously the individual is dealt with in, in, in such a way. Sister Saad. Assalamu alaikum. Yesterday we were talking about um, like setting high goals and high ambitions for the sake of Allah. So what if we're on the path of pursuing these goals and ambitions and over time you start to realize that as I'm pursuing these things, I'm actually gaining fulfillment for myself. I'm gaining respect in the community, I'm gaining popularity, I'm gaining followers, I might be even getting paid, might be even getting paid for, for trying to pursue these ambitions that I told myself that I was doing this for the sake of Allah. So is there a way to gauge on your journey towards pursuing that goal, am I still doing this for Allah or has the balance tipped towards I'm doing this for myself? Um, once again, if you remember, we talked about the journey versus the destination, right? Uh, sometimes the journey is much more rewarding than the destination itself. But in regards to doing something good for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then you get praise for it in the dunya, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa he was asked about that particular issue. A man came to the Messenger of Allah, he said, Qala ya Rasulullah, ar-rajul ya'malu al-amal lillah, yahmaduhu al-nasu alayhi. Sometimes I do something for the sake of Allah In my intention, I'm doing it for the sake of Allah, but then I get the praise from the people. Like, is that gonna diminish my reward? Is that gonna take away from the value of what I'm doing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So the Messenger of Allah, he said, Qal, tilka ajilu bushra mu'min. Tilka ajilu bushra mu'min. He said, this is the, the immediate and, and uh, uh, the, the quick good news for the believer. Like, this is the good news for you in the dunya before the akhirah. So our ulama, they comment on this. They said, look, as long as it does not change your intentions, then you're good. If those words of praise, they become halal music in your ear, and you always pursue them more and more right now, you start doing more of it because you're soliciting these now words of praise and fame and so on, then you don't want to give it that you're doing. But if those words of praise or reproach, they're completely neutral to you, then you're good. So again, they, they measure that by saying, When words of praise or criticism are equal to you because you know your intention, you know in your heart that you're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the praise of people doesn't change the fact, doesn't, it doesn't gonna encourage me to do more of it because I'm already doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And them criticizing me for it, even though because I'm still doing it for the sake of Allah, I'm not gonna stop because some mean people keep telling me not to do that thing. Wallahu alam. Nah. Can I add to that, sir? So what I would add to that, because I think that you know, it's, it's sometimes it's it's confusion at that point, right? Whether I even know if I'm doing it for Allah subhanahu wa taala or not at that point. Uh, the goal, and this is a very important thing, is that 
you start to do things only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to a point that the eyes of others becomes irrelevant. They become background noise. And so what that means is you have some very measurable things to ask, you know, to, to, to gauge this, all right? So one of them, for example, is um, if people stop praising me for it, do I stop doing it? It's probably like the easiest threshold. So if I, if I stop getting praise for it, will I abandon it? If people don't see me doing it, will I not do it? So sometimes, um, may Allah protect us, because obviously I, I, I recognize I'm a public figure, so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from this, Allahumma ameen. Amen. Sometimes we rely exclusively on those public deeds. But do you do the private deeds too that no one from the public knows about? And Sufyan al-Thawri rahimahullah ta'ala, he used to say that anything that I have done that other people have seen, I don't depend on that in my journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I don't know if shaitan took a bit of my intention for it. And, some, and your intention keeps on changing colors at times, right? Like you think you got it down and then something gets it. So you have to have a share of secret deeds that are not just a means of continuing that journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they're also a proof that this journey is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not about others. And when you start to chip away at that, and just say, I don't have any time or any, any, any energy for this, I'm just gonna do this all the time. And that's a problem. And that's where ma'rifah comes into this. And this is what we hope that Allah unlocks for us. La ya'rifu al-khalq wal-khaliq ahad. Ibn al-Jawzi ta'ala narrates that no one knows the creation and the creator, and then prefers the sight of the creation to the sight of the creator. If you knew, the, the, if, you, if you start to love the sight of Allah upon you, then it's like, you know, to give you like the, the, the easiest example of this to, to figure this out, let's say that there's someone really important that just walked into the room and you have to give a public lecture, okay? Your entire attention as the speaker is gonna go towards that one person, okay? Because that person just completely outweighs, like that's important to you. That person's a person of high status or that person is someone who can do stuff for you or that person is this or that. Like suddenly the intention, there'll be everyone else's audience, but like that's who you're talking to. That's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is your greatest audience. And so you just have to make him the most important of your audience, not necessarily delete the audience, just extol the main, the, the main, uh, the, the main audience that is sought, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah wa uh, any other questions? Assalamu uh, alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I don't know if this has been asked yet, so my apologies if it has, but uh, going back to the fir uh, very first point that Sheikh Yasser made, about how, uh, alhamdulillah, we're at the very end of Ramadan, and uh, you know we look forward into you know inshallah keeping those good habits that we have with our salah and with our dua and whatnot, uh, inshallah uh, after Ramadan. But uh, my question is, you know, what's something or maybe multiple things that we can do as a community, inshallah, in order to benefit each other and you know kind of help each other you know, continue those habits with, you know, our Qur'an recitation, with our salah, and with our da'a. Um, I think um, this is what I mentioned in my khutbah. You, you need an I start statement and an I quit statement. Um, and my, what's mandatory is one. <laughs> one I quit statement, one I start statement. Uh, and, and I hope everyone does this, inshallah ta'ala. I hope you, every single person just takes one I quit statement, one I start statement. When it comes to good deeds, slow, gradual, 
means that it stays. Just like when Sheikh Abdullah was here, Sheikh Abdullah was talking about uh, muscle gain. Okay, it's the slow, steady, not the once in a while, not the you know all over the place. Slow and steady. So you have buckets of sins, which are amrad al-qulub, the diseases of the heart, and the believer protects themselves from self-righteousness by interrogating themselves with every single one of amrad al-qulub. Like you will read about this disease of the heart and you will say, do I have this present? Do I have indications? Am I starting to even you know, incline in any way that would, help, that, that, would, that would cause me to develop this disease of the heart? And then you have al-wasa'il ila Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the means by which you attain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-munjiyat, al-muhlikat, and then the, the destructive flaws and then the means of salvation back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So bucket those. This is my salah. This is my fasting, this is my Qur'an, this is my charity, this is my public service, this is my private spirituality. Here are the buckets. Okay, where are my greatest deficiencies? Okay, how can I build something steady, small and steady in each one of these things? And write it down. I actually think one of the, can I tell you one of just the, the, the greatest takeaways of us studying Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah? Is that he really wrote down everything. Just writing. He wrote down everything, right? He even wrote down his innermost thoughts and shared them with the ummah. Okay, like he's writing down personal moments of du'a. He wrote down everything. So write stuff down. Write down your goals. Track yourself. And go back and analyze those things. You know, when I used to teach uh, behind the scenes uh, with al-Maghrib, one of the things I used to do is I'd, I'd say, write a letter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many of you took behind the scenes, by the way? Oh, man. I need to reteach this somewhere. Maybe in, maybe in, in Dallas, inshallah. But... Uh, I'd say write a letter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then write three things that you want to change about yourself. Make three, three commitments over the next six months and then write your address on the envelope. And like, we'll send it back to everyone in six months. Um, you know, subhanAllah, Shaykh, like, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me like, I, six months later, like, ouch. You know, like, because I write it down, put it in an envelope, and then let, it, and then we would send it back to them in six months, which that Maghrib HQ wasn't very fond of. <laughs> like, that's just the instructor giving everyone a hard time. Right? I'm like, you got to collect all these envelopes every single class, and then the Maghrib has to send them to every single attendee uh, six months later. I, I don't think they ever sent the wrong letter to someone else because that'd be super awkward. <laughs> Give someone an identity crisis. Like, I don't even know who I am anymore. You know. <laughs> Um, but like it's powerful when you can confront yourself with your own commitments, your own goals, your own writing. So uh, let that be the case, inshallah ta'ala, for each of us to actually track our goals, inshallah ta'ala, after, after Ramadan. If I may add one more thing actually for you to do, what Shaykh Omar was talking about, what he really uh, he described for you is individual activity. If I want to suggest something extra for you to do, work on your community activities as well too. Because Allah subhanahu wa says in Surah Al-Asr, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَا فِي خُسْرِ إِلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ He said, everybody is in a constant state of loss. Except for those people who have faith, act upon it, and then they enjoy good among themselves, and they make sure to remain steadfast on this path. So the first two is for you, individually. The second are for the community. You cannot be strong on your own. You have to strengthen yourself with the presence of those good brothers and sisters around you in the community. So if you are going to start, you know, a path, a journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you need to have a ride. 
And Hadith ibn Abbas the Prophet says, People are just like a hundred camels. You can barely find one, cam one camel suit for a ride, suitable ride on the journey. Why? Because every camel is good for meat probably. But if you want to go in, on a journey in the desert, you have to have a strong, strong camel that can help you survive that journey. So you're not on the journey to Allah Azza wa Jal. And if you're going to have a, a, a friend, you need to have that friend whom you can trust with your life on that journey. Someone that will push me forward to go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not to keep me standing in the middle of the desert and just show me mirage. And then I keep chasing mirage because of them and eventually I get thirsty and I die. So it's very important, it's so crucial that in addition to your individual activities, look for community activity. Like what? The least you can start with, I would say, my suggestion, one salah in the masjid. Every single day, not every Friday. Every single day, you need to make commitment to pray one salah in the masjid. Be it Fajr, Isha, Asr, Maghrib, depends on your circumstances. Maybe you're at work, maybe you come late, early, whatever that is. One salah in the masjid. You start with this, inshallah ta'ala, suddenly you realize when you start going to the masjid more frequently, you become part of a community. And I hope, inshallah, that can help you stand to your iman and build around as well, too, inshallah ta'ala. Shaykh, I'm going to make a quick plug. If you go to Yaqeen's website and you read the basic reports, uh, basic is actually a metric that our, our brothers, Dr. Uthman Omerji and others are working on. No. Basic means belief, attitude, spirituality, institution, and contribution. Can you all repeat that back to me? Where's like, the, uh, someone got it. Uh, Dr. Mustafa's like, I got this. Belief, attitude, spirituality, institution, and contribution. And these are the things sort of wholesomely that we take from the Quran and the Sunnah that, that make a complete Muslim, right? And so actually what we're, what we're working on is how can we, inshallah ta'ala, um, you know, basically customize our plan back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fill in all of those buckets because they're all important buckets that we have in our deen. One last question from the sisters, inshallah ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum. Um, so I know that we've talked about the diseases of the heart, um, and to my knowledge, I know in Islam that you're accounted for what you do and not necessarily like what you think or what you feel. It's just like your actions. So my question is, how can we consolidate diseases of the heart being something that we need to like actively like reflect on and fix if it's something that's like internal versus like an actual action because of the disease of a heart. First of all, Allah does not want you to torture yourself over the abstract. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to remedy the obvious and then dig deeper. And that's a very, very important feature of this deen and in your relationship, your suluk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah does not want you to to, to drive yourself crazy thinking what's wrong with me and what's this and then like not and just just it makes us feel defeated and depleted that's not the the purpose and that is one of the tricks of shaitan that's actually one of the tricks of shaitan shaitan will come to you and tell you you're not good enough to approach allah you're not good enough and you don't even know where to start right so he'll actually extol allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you when it's convenient for him to do so because at the end of the day he wants to deactivate you in your journey to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so remedying the obvious and then digging deeper into the causes so that you can remedy those internal causes as well. Uh, the diseases of the heart are identified by manifestations, active manifestations. And so uh, 
I, I, I need to remedy my backbiting. Like we talk about backbiting a lot because, you know, Allah knows best, but you know, when the Prophet says that most people go to hell because of what the tongue harvests, right? If you think about the shares of, of the tongue, like you're more likely probably to backbite in a day than you are to tell a lie. You might tell a lie as well, false testimony, major sins, right? Slander, major, major, major sin, right? But like the gossip and the backbiting. So what's a, what's a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take that to the disease of the heart? Hey, why are you talking about people? Don't you realize that they actually might be better than you? Those people that you're just backbiting and gossiping and looking down upon and making a mockery of? You know that person might actually be someone that's a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's having a difficult patch right now. Who, who, who do you think you are? And so what? Okay, so what's, what, where do I have to dig deeper internally? Do I think I'm better than people? Is that why I talk about them so much? Or am I distracted? Am I, am, am I distracted? Do I not have a sense of urgency? So then I go back and I say, well, how do I remedy pride? Okay, then I need to look at my own sins and other people's good deeds, not other people's sins and my own good deeds. And I need to focus on that. I need to adjust my lens towards other people. Okay, how do I remedy being distracted? Let me read these ayats about the akhirah, ponder upon the hereafter, do more uh, to make me think about the hereafter. Remember death, visiting the graveyard. There are remedies for each one of these things. So it starts with tackling the obvious. And then here's the beauty of your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is what I can promise you. When you show Allah a commitment to tackling the obvious, He will unlock to you what is not so obvious and give you the tools to tackle that as well. Because that's what ladina jahadu fina lanahdiyannahum subhanahu Those who strive in our paths, then we will unlock. Those who strive in our way, we unlock paths. Ma'rifa, basira, what, what, what Ibn al-Jawzi was talking about, well, not what he was talking about yesterday, what we were talking about, that he wrote about uh, yesterday, that like, I, I'm glad, you know, I, I don't wish I died 20 years ago, because I, I, I know Allah better now. So if you commit yourself to tackling the very obvious, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you to remedy, inshallah ta'ala, the not so obvious as well. Uh, we would like to spend the next, actually, maybe 10, 15 minutes, inshallah ta'ala, with rapid reflection from your side. If you've been with us here for the past 10 nights, maybe five of them, three of them, we've been one of them, and you've learned something, want to see, want to hear from you guys, your takeaways, inshallah ta'ala. What did you guys learn? What do you want to give as a feedback in terms of, alhamdulillah, something you benefit, you want others to benefit from, inshallah. What is it that you have uh, uh, benefit from these sessions, inshallah? So each one of you, whoever wants to talk, inshallah, and share with us their benefit from these sessions, you guys have one minute, inshallah, ta'ala, on the microphone. No more. So who's going to start first? Bismillah. Okay. Until we get to the microphone from the sister side, if you're ready, inshallah, have the sister side. Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum. Um, one thing I've learned these 10 days, mashallah, this community is beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing your space. Um, the people here are amazing, mashallah. But um, I also learned. There's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. So inshallah, the resources will become available. So, and uh, may we all work towards that. Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much. Barakallah fikum. Yes. Assalamu alaikum. First of all, thank you so much for the, for the help. Uh, I learned so much. But one thing uh, uh, from uh, Ibn al-Jawzi, I learned that the more we know God, the more we know about God, 
like the more we feel the halawa of uh, worshiping God. So that's the... So the more we know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more it becomes sweeter to worship Allah azza wa jal. Yes. Find that joy in worshiping him. Jazakallah khair na'am. Ahsan, barakallah fikum. Sisters, if anyone wants to share their reflection, inshallah ta'ala, and their benefit, raise your hand so you can get the microphone. Until then we get from one of the brothers, inshallah azza wa jal. Assalamu alaikum, Thank you very much for this. Uh, what I learned, actually, not just learned. Uh, for me, these sessions late at night, uh, late, late at night, were actually uh, life-changing. Uh, I learned so much uh, from them, especially about the dua. Uh, I did not really realize how important the dua, um, how important we really need to humble ourselves and be uh, uh, direct. Uh, go directly to uh, God because uh, other people believe that in order to, for example, uh, get the uh, you know gain the forgiveness uh, from Allah, you have to sacrifice. No. Uh, whether you sacrifice with the blood or sacrifice whatever, but what makes our religion, this religion, unique, that you don't need to do any of that. You just need to go directly to God, and uh, He will open the door. You know, knock on the door and he will open the door for you. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Zakallah Sisters. Assalamu alaikum. I'm actually not from the community. I'm uh, from DC and I was able to come and, and uh, benefit uh, Welcome from home. the last. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, actually, for me, every year I try to change one thing about myself during the month of Ramadan. And there was a challenge that was made a few nights ago to try and pray with it every single night, which I haven't in the past. But that's my one takeaway for the next year, inshallah, and, and beyond to pray with it every night. Inshallah, it's going to be with it and more, inshallah. Barakallah fikum. How many of you are from California, by the way? California. Huh? Okay. <laughs> can you all stop messing with our real estate prices, please? Like, you can visit. <laughs> but please, uh, no, so. <laughs> Now I feel like I need to seek forgiveness from you. I, put you, I set you up. I set you up. <laughs> ボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコンボーコ
to make this space welcoming and comfortable for all. So I, I hope that one of the you know, reflections, and I, and I think something going forward that I really hope to see within our community is that after Ramadan, inshallah, we have all those young professionals come back to our masjid. We have all those youth come back to the masjid. Inshallah. And really, you know, we ought to recognize that the board and the volunteers are working so hard to make this space not only welcoming, but one that's inclusive to all those of various socioeconomic status, gender, race, ethnicity. So not only I hope that we keep them in our du'as, but also that post Ramadan, we make a commitment to come back to this space, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much. Allah If in my, in my sense, I want to add to this actually a reflection here, my personal really a reflection on, the, on our team, our brothers and sisters, the volunteers who have been working so hard from the very beginning of the month of Ramadan. And frankly, last year, subhanAllah, when we had our volunteers, mashallah, they did, you know, serve around a thousand people, maybe more or less and so on. But this year, we talk about 1,600, 1,700 on, on, on uh, average night of iftar here in the masjid. And in addition to that, of course, mashallah, coming to the late night khatiras, our numbers are also doubling as well. So they've been working so hard, so hard. And many of them, unfortunately, they've been a little bit, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, kind of a little bit, uh, people say we're harsh with them a little bit. And there were so many of them came to me with tears in their eyes, really. I want to make this, that you guys, you understand the struggle they go through. And they're not going to come back to you to tell you, you hurt me. You need to apologize to me. But you do hurt them sometimes. And that's a reality. So for those brothers and sisters who come here and they think they're entitled to come to the masjid because that's the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I don't have to stick to any rules of the masjid. I, I ask you to really seek forgiveness from those brothers and sisters that you might be have, uh, you know, rubbed the wrong way and maybe hurt them. Because these, these volunteers were only trying to keep you and everybody safe. And if they tell you there is no room inside, not because they're doing it for themselves, it's because they want everybody to stay safe. So please keep them in your dua. And I want to highlight a few people, inshallah ta'ala here. This man you guys see standing over there, Brother Hasib, Jazakallah khair. Disappeared. He just, he just ran away. <laughs> May Allah bless him, bless his family, ya Rabbil Alameen. An unbelievable volunteer. Everywhere you go, he's standing there to help, alhamdulillah. Brother Fazi as well too, he's not here, where is he? I'm not sure. All the volunteers, mashallah, may Allah bless them, ya Rabbil On the sister's side, there's so many of them, mashallah, Sister Ishraat, Sister Fawziya over there. Also, uh, uh, Sister Sanobar, uh, Sister Sanobar, Sister Zinat, Sister Aisha, all these sisters, and many more, of course, subhanAllah. Sister Salaf and Farah from the board. You know, they take their share as well, too, from the blame, yeah, subhanAllah, but coming to them. But I just want to make sure that in a night like this, when we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the opportunity to be in a message like this, I just want you to also make sure you thank these brothers and sisters for a wonderful service that we can't say thank you enough to all of them. Jazakumullah khair I'm from New York and I would say Jazakumullah khair for the MashaAllah. Welcome home. Jazakumullah. I am enjoying so much on this masjid. Especially there are two sessions, which is one as the after the Asr, and Sheikh Yasir is giving a hadith, that's a hadith. That was a great uh, session to learn a lot about the hadith and the deepness of the meanings of the hadith. And after that, he recited the Quran, which is as very benefit for the community. And this session, the one which is now going on, this 10 days, 
uh, Imam Joseph, rahimahullah, uh, whatever we, uh, uh, he, he taught us, and we ta he tells us that uh, this is, these are the hadith and these are the way how you uh, do your life and all the pattern about the water goes down and about the acceptance of du'as and all those things, which is a heart-touching matters. And we learn a lot about you. And I would say thank you to the community and thank you for the Khidmat Jamaat and for the board people. And thank you from my heart that uh, this is a, such a great masjid. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give this masjid till the day of judgment and make a more and more benefit from this masjid. And give the, uh, I would say that uh, the community should uh, this shahan, you know, this time, this is the time when the lot of uh, ulama last two days, three years, lot of ulama's big scholars, they've been gone. But these, these people, they are the treasure for this uh, community. So please uh, accept the, you know, the, whatever they are saying. That's a great uh, thing they are doing, mashallah. We're just students of knowledge, we're still learning, and we're trying to serve our community in the best way we can, inshallah. But coming from you, especially, Ankar and I, this is a beautiful thing. We appreciate that, Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much. On the sister's side. Assalamu alaikum. Um, so something I learned is that... You can speak up to the microphone, please. Oh, sorry, better? Yes. Uh, one thing that I've learned is that the sacrifice between work and... You know, learning your dean is not as hard as I, you know, you think it is, and that we need to spend a little bit more time on pondering the translation of the Quran. You know, more than just reading the English words, but contemplating the true meaning. Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Assalamualaikum. Brother Abdulaziz from Epic. Just wanted to start off with a huge Jazakumullah khair. Um, your, your, your efforts here and your late night talks, they're well appreciated and I think I can speak on the behalf of everyone when we say it's very beneficial to our imams and overall deen. Um, I just wanted to make mention, uh, a couple nights ago, talk, we had a talk about uh, du'a. And what really hit me was when y'all mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he's gonna respond to your du'a. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's gonna accept it and give you what you are asking for, but rather he's gonna respond and if it's not in this dunya, it's in the akhirah, which is like... Jazakallah khair. Beautiful. Subhanallah. Thank you very much. Jazakallah Last reflection from the sister's side, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi I think for me, what the most difficult thing that I realized in the past 10 days is that our most difficult jihad is the jihad of nafs, and that no matter what we do, whatever fitna that we have in the world, um, our nafs is going to be our biggest battle, and the only way that we can combat that is by coming here and coming to these spaces and gaining knowledge, inshallah. Jazakallah Thank you very much. I appreciate the, all this feedback. And you know, I'm sure that we have so many more from the brother's side. One last khalsad, one last one, inshallah. Hi. Because we have, we have another surprise for you, inshallah, to all of you before we close, inshallah. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum. Uh, I might be one of those examples where you said, knock on the door, if, I, if, you, if you see an imam. Not, not my door. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. But, uh, like, you see an imam or someone, and you're like, should I talk to them? Do no. you need help finding his office? It's no, it's <laughs> down the so, hall to the left. No, that's yours. No, mine is here. <laughs> so, yes.